welcome. This is Talking Joy, creating joy, inner peace, and authentic connections. My name is Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and I am founder of lifestyle brand Talking Joy. As a certified spiritual director, I have been leading groups with the power of words, the strength of positivity, and the gift of joy. During our time together, our focus will be on simple spiritual practices that can be applied to your everyday life with the wisdom and support of others. Talking Joy talks to help you realize your value. I am so glad you're here. Simple, joyful, fun. Let's get talking. Janine Seiler-Jones, welcome to the Talking Joy podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I'd like to say we've been friends for a while now and, and we've done some work together and I really admire you and, and uh, you know, all the things that you do. And I think one of the first times I ever met you actually was um, when I was taking a wisdom class at Moravian. And I think you came and maybe gave a talk on the Enneagram. And it was interesting because my first reaction was that I was being labeled by getting a number and figuring out what my personality type was. And I felt a little defensive because I felt like everybody in the room knew what their number was already. So I felt a little insecure because I wasn't sure. And I think that Marcella had us take a test to see what we thought ours was. Um, But it's the exact opposite of what I thought. Yes, really. It's a, you know, it's a window into understanding my personality type, why I do the things that I do, why I have certain reactions. And then it gives me this sort of awareness to be able to, you know, move into relationships with a better sort of freer Mm -hmm. style, maybe. Yeah. Add anything to that? Well, I really agree with you. And I feel like, um, when the Enneagram is engaged in the way it's really intended, it's not a label or a stopping point. It's not like, oh, okay, now I can describe myself better. You know, it's actually this, um, in a way, a kind of shortcut or a map uh, to, to, to self-observation, to being able to observe ourselves in our patterns and, and the ways that we go on automatic. And that becomes kind of the alarm bell. It's kind of like, oh, I'm doing that personality thing. And that's not all of who I am. In fact, that's not the core of who I am. You know, it actually then allows us to in our contemplative practices and the various ways just to kind of relax back, open up. And there's that freedom, you know, that wholeness, that opportunity to, to say, this might be a helpful behavior or way of responding at times. So it's not bad, but it's not the only option. And it may not be serving me right now. Um, You know, and when you're saying all that reminds me is I probably was first introduced to the Enneagram in a work type setting, Mm -hmm. which I find is sort of common. And I, I feel like that part of it, you know, maybe I got this from, from listening to uh, the heart of the Enneagram podcast, but about don't put me in a box. Yes. (laughs) And what they say is that you're already in the box. Yeah. And that this offers you ways to get out of the box. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the Enneagram is so powerful. And we, I think as we engage it more for ourselves and with curiosity about other people, we have to be so careful about stereotyping and boxing people in and thinking we know all about them because they might tell us I lead with type seven or something, you know, it's like, well, they're still a unique person and, you know, this is information, but it's not, um, it's not stagnant. Yeah. And well, and the other thing that I found that was fascinating in preparing for our conversation today 
and listening to all the different types and, and learning about them uh, with some more depth was that I identified with an awful lot of them. Yeah. You know, I saw myself in a lot of different ones. There were certain ones that really resonated, but I did see myself mm-hmm. in, in a lot of them. Is that common? It is common. And I think that's the archetypal nature of the Enneagram. You know, there are some kind of common and archetypal patterns or ways of, of interacting with the world. And we can, we can imagine it. We can, we can know the times that we rely on those strategies, even if they're not our primary go-to. And I think that's a great, I mean, I think that also is a testament to your growth. I think the more we grow and expand and transform, the more we're bringing into our awareness and connection, our wholeness. And so we're going to have more connection around the circle, you know, because the symbol of the Enneagram uh, is all, it's all on a circle, one big circle. And I did also on the flip side of that, I noticed things that I used to do Yes, (laughs) because of the growth. I say, Oh, I think I used to be like that. Yeah. And I, and, and, and then it, it lets you know how far you've come. And in a certain level. So um, I had asked, I always ask my guests what their favorite words or quotes that they live by are. And I usually do that at the end of the podcast, but you sent me a couple and there was one that I thought would be great to start with. Mm -hmm. Um, And it says, when I am not present to myself, then I am only aware that of half of me, that mode of my being, which turns outward to created things. And then it is possible for me to lose myself among them. Then I no longer feel the deep secret pull of the gravitation of love, which draws me inward self towards God. My will and my intelligence lose their command of the other faculties. My senses, my imagination, my emotions scatter to pursue their various queries over the face of the earth. Recollection brings them home. It brings the outward self into the line with the inward spirit and makes my whole being answer the deep pull of love that reaches down into the mystery of God. And that's by Thomas Merton. Mm -hmm. Um, I just love that. And I just felt like that's, Mm. well, maybe you tell me why you chose that. (laughs) I love hearing it read out loud, you know, so often these quotes that we hold, you know, it's like something we might read to ourselves in our mind, but um. Yeah, I just love the invitation to notice when we're scattered and to recollect ourselves and to feel and sense into that gravitational pull of love, that deep, um, you know, I think of it as ocean sometimes or a river, usually a water image, but it's like, oh, that is what we want to keep touching back into. And, And I feel like the Enneagram can help us notice when we're not there. And, and when we are, you know, scattered and then there's that like gratitude for, oh, right. I know this place and I know that's not all of who I am. That's only actually the outer garment of who I am. And so let me, let me return. Let me recollect. Let me center ground, find my feet, you know, Mm. and, and come into presence again. And of course we go back and forth all the time, right? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, we do. And even, you know, it's a practice, it's a practice, it's a practice. And I, even before we got on the air today, you know, had something going on with some extended family and, and my brother was calling me and, and I was sort of spinning a little bit and I got off the call and I, I went over to the window and I stood and raised my arms up 
I mean, I, you know, everything that you all have, have taught me and mm-hmm. filled myself to the heart space and grounded. And, and it was amazing how, and sort of let things wash over me in a way. And it was amazing how much it brought me right back into my body right. and into the present moment and, and able to sit down and switch gears and, and speak with you. And it, mm-hmm. it really uh, is amazing how you can do that, that we can scatter and then come back and scatter and come back. That's right. And I really don't think we can learn much about the Enneagram without that very awareness, Pam, you know, mm-hmm. that what is it, what does my body feel like when it's not present and when it's present? What does my heart feel like when it's not present and when it's present in my mind, you know, and I think our body, you know, we, we do feel grounded. We feel relaxed. We feel open, you know, less tense. And I think our heart, that deeper heart is, um, you know, not so emotionally drawn or dramatic or sort of activated, but it's actually settled, you know, into a deep heart space where we, where we feel that gravitational pull of love. And when those two things are happening, our mind just kind of naturally clarifies and we don't feel so monkey mind, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, you know, we just, we feel maybe more still, and then, and then there we are, all three centers are online and then we can receive whatever it is we need to know in the moment. And who doesn't want more of that? Yeah. <laughs> um, so mm-hmm. tell me about the three centers. Tell me about that because, yeah. you know, I, I heard a lot about that. I've been reading about that. I, I've learned about it in, in some of the work that I'm doing and yeah, yeah. I think that's, um, you know, the wisdom work uh, and the Enneagram work, this is a, this, they're both coming from the same root, uh, which is the Gurdjieff work. Uh, G.I. Gurdjieff was the man that um, brought the symbol and a lot of the teachings to the West in the early, um, like 1930s, 1940s. And so Cynthia, uh, you know, studied with um, the Gurdjieff work. And so she brought a lot of the three centers information and practice. And then the Enneagram, and I'll say some more about this as I go briefly around all nine numbers, but the, the symbol of the Enneagram um, includes all three. So we have three body types or moving center types, three heart types, and three head types. And of course, we have all three in us, but we, you know, depending on our leaning, we will, you know, have both the, the gift and maybe the shadow of uh, leaning into one of those senders. And, and so the invitation really is to bring all three in. And, and that's a very experiential thing. So when we are in touch with our body and our moving center, you know, we're aware of sensation, we're aware of breath, uh, we're aware of um, rhythm, and, you know, all of our senses, you know, so we kind of have a sense of when we know we're embodied, you know, and we have practices that help return us, like, it might be a, a body prayer, like you were doing at the window, it might be a breath practice. It might be Tai Chi or um, yoga, um, but these things that help us kind of come into our body. And then I think it's also helpful to know when we're not there. And that usually is like mechanical or 
dissociated, you know, like where we're not really feeling our body unless it's in pain, you know, or was kind of dull, there's a dullness. And so when we can notice, we can just invite the, the body that that center online. And I think, you know, with the heart center, or the emotional center, it's also called, you know, at the personality level, uh, it can really, it can look um, like a, a, a connection with emotion. So it can have an emotional intelligence to it. But then also we can get carried away into drama or too much uh, of an emotional hijack or, you know, activation. And so I think then when we when we're able to kind of center into our deeper heart, we feel joy and compassion and um, engagement, you know, like attunement where we really can um, feel that gravitational pull of love and let that guide us, you know, and that feels really different. So, so all these centers, there's kind of a more of a surface experience or a more disconnected experience of the center and then a deeper connected experience. And I think with the mind, you know, we know what it's like to sort of be jumping all over the place, you know, not, not being, uh, not really thinking, you know, we're, we're maybe just chattering, you know, chattering, or we're telling ourselves stories or we're problem solving, but at a pace that's often pretty frenzied, you know, um, and I think when we bring our mind and our intelligence center online, we do have this kind of stillness and inner quiet, and we're able to recognize and, and see and know what we need to know. Um, so did you get a feel for that? Yeah. So what I'm, what I'm hearing is that there are, there are nine personality types, mm -hmm. so one through nine, and not in that particular order. We'll get to that, but one through nine for, for my, for my organized see. Yes. Uh, and then there are, you know, like three, six, nine, one, two, three different types. And that's the heart, the head and the body of centers in the, within those. Right. So there's three types or points in each of the centers. Okay. And um, I think once I say a little bit about each of them, that three, that will become more clear. Um, okay. It's really important though, to, to know that just because your point or type is in one of those centers, that does not mean that you don't have all three because you do. <laughs> okay. And for, for anybody listening that has no idea what, you know, what we're talking about so far, um, there are, or how they don't know what their type is. There are ways that we can figure that out. Um, and there are tests online and there are books and there are podcasts and all sorts of resources, which we will, you know, have available for people that you can find that out so that you, know, you can start applying at that. But what I'm hearing is that the Enneagram is a resource for personal growth. Right. And that was really the original intention of it. You know, often, or might not often, but sometimes people kind of get caught up in the typing part of it, you know, in the describing. And, and it sort of feels like a, a, a party game or something like, and, it, you know, that's that 
I just think of that as if it, if it sparks your curiosity about yourself, then that could be the first step into deeper inner growth. Um, but the purpose of it and the way it was used in inner transformational schools from the beginning was always in conjunction with this psycho-spiritual, you know, like contemplative practices brought right alongside that um, Enneagram as a way of seeing where we might block. Like, for example, one of the, um, what, one of the tracing the lineage of the Enneagram back to the desert mothers and fathers, um, there's a, an understanding that like, oh, this actually fits, you know, the Enneagram, whether it was talked about in that way, then we don't know, but it was really like, what blocks us from presence with God in our prayer? What gets us away from our openness to being with God? And if we can understand those blocks and we can work with them skillfully, then we're going to be more receptive, more open, more able to listen and to discern and all of the, all of the yeah. ways we want to be in relationship. So it helps us to understand why we do what we do. Yeah. Right. So that in that sense, it's just a starting place. It's not a stopping place. It's not a description. Yeah. Know, even so though use words to describe people. <laughs> so. so I'm feeling like it's a source for freedom also for freedom from, from the self. Yeah. And always with an awareness that our ego is part of um, part of what it is to be human. We're never trying to get rid of our ego or not have it. But when we think that's all that we are, that's when we're not free. You know, that's when we really are caught in all of the limitations that come with an egoic um, perspective, because it tends to be fear-based or loss of contact with, you know, the big heart, the big mind, the deeper body, you know, like God, mystery source, you know, we lose contact. Yeah. And do you think uh, that if we didn't do this work, that there is, um, maybe a tendency to get stuck in the same behaviors that we've been doing like our whole life over and over again. I do. I do. And, you know, there's that phrase, um, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and striving for different results is, is what our struggle, you know, that if, if that's what we're doing, we're going to remain in struggle and we're going to. Well, it's like that Einstein quote about the same consciousness that created something. Yes. Yeah. So again, the contemplative practices invite us into a deeper consciousness, into a a deeper knowing, which then helps us look at this, you know, um, as skillfully, you know, it's like, oh, right. I don't, I, I have some ways of working with myself. If I see myself more clearly, there is more freedom and wholeness available. So we're talking a lot about the self and, you know, before we get to going through the numbers, what about uh, relationships? You mm. know, like, have you experienced in your own life? Has it changed the way that you communicate with, with people? Um, I'm sure that it has. It's so interesting. I've been studying for so long and been using it for so long. I feel like it's now just like really integrated in how I think and how I notice my own reactivity. Mm. And so These days with myself, you know, I can recognize a pattern pretty quickly and it it just helps me 
notice it and let it go. Usually not always, but usually it's like, oh, right. That my sensitivity to criticism or what I perceive as criticism, I know what that is. And so what can I, can I pause and step back and be curious about what's really going on? So I think that helps with relationships because we're not making, I'm not making assumptions. Um, And I think that's the way the folks that I've worked with through the years that have found this really helpful in relationships. I think it increases compassion Mm -hmm. for the other person and for ourselves. It opens curiosity. Um, And we're just less likely to get caught in a familiar dance, um, you know, where it's just like, oh, right, we keep stepping on each other's toes here. Let's see. Let's see how the Enneagram might help us understand that and help us know what we can do to help ourselves here. Yeah, that's interesting because that's one of my takeaways this week was how um, it can help cultivate compassion for myself, but also for others so that we don't repeat those same those same patterns, or maybe we might have a better understanding for, oh, well, that's how they react in these situations. And it's different than me, but that's okay. Right. Right. I don't have to react to their reaction. Um, and maybe I'm less likely to do that if I kind of go, oh, right. I think they're caught in their thing here and they're not seeing it. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, what's interesting now that, that, that we're talking about this is you and I are in a class together and, and we were in a breakout session recently and you did say something about, oh, I noticed that about myself, that that's one of my, um, and now that we're talking about it, I get why you, yeah. You know, so you picked up immediately on sort of, you know, like a little aspect of, of your reaction to something. Right. And really owned it. Like, oh, this is you me. And this is my perception. And, and that's huge because then I'm not making an assumption that I know what you're doing or what you meant. And so, you know, then there, there's room for discussion, you know, there's room for conversation. It doesn't shut it down, which often if we're really caught in our type pattern, we think that's the truth, whatever it is, we just perceived or whatever it is just happened. You know, we we're sure we're right. (laughs) Yeah. But I really appreciated that moment because it taught me something. It caused me to pause and think about it and reflect about it after, because I appreciated the fact that you named something about yourself. You, you, you addressed it. And then we sort of, it opened up for us to be able to move beyond it. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That was definitely an Enneagram moment. Yeah. And so that, I didn't that, know it until that's kind of how I use it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that is how we can use it. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so once we figure out what our number is, um, you know, then, then we can figure out what to do with it. So why don't we move into that a little bit? We can talk about the numbers. Uh, and I think I talked a little bit before we went on air about how you sent me the numbers and they weren't in exact order. And I wanted to take the file and sort of reconfigure it and have it go one through nine. And you started with eight on the first That's page. Right. So I'll explain about that. Yeah. So, um, so we were just talking about the three centers. And so um, the eight, nine, and one is the first triad. And that is at the top of the Enneagram. If you have a symbol and you, you see you know, where those are, they're at the top of the Enneagram and they are the body types. And so I, I actually got this from Russ Hudson starting with the eight, nine, and one. Um, And because I loved what he said about it, he's an Enneagram teacher that you can take courses from, because he said, actually, we build a house from the ground up. 
And so starting with the body and then building on going around to the heart center and then to the head center at the end, it's like we, we get a sense of, of kind of um, the elements that, that, that build on one another. And so that actually made sense to me. And so ever since then, I have started with the body types. Mm, That makes complete sense to me too. And now I have that visual of that. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's, um, it's, it drives people crazy and it doesn't make sense until you kind of get the reasoning for it. So, so yeah, so I'll give me just to jump in and say something about the eight, nine, and one, please. Um, and what I'm going to, Pam and I also, we've talked about this earlier. There's so much that you could say about the Enneagram. So I was trying to think like, what is a, is just a sliver of understanding all nine types that might be helpful to people and also might then, you know, have them go further and get more information. And so one of the things that's been most helpful to me is to talk about what is the essence or the gift of each of the types? You know, what, when personality is very relaxed, what is the, what is, what shines forth? And then there is, um, and then, and then there's a teaching about the passion of each type and the virtue of each type. And what that really refers to is we lose touch with that gift or that essence or that light shining through and we'll clinch up on it. And that is our passion. Um, and so this is, um, passion, not culturally understood, like what we love, but passion in terms of the desert mothers and fathers, where we lose touch with ourselves and with God. And so I'm going to name the passion and the virtue of each type. The virtue is really not something that we try to make happen, but it's what happens naturally when we relax, when, when, when our heart comes online and it's not clenched over the virtue arises. And so I'm going to talk about those three things, the gift, the passion, and the virtue of each type. Can I just yeah. uh, interject and say that I think that that's perfect because my goal or hope for people listening is to pique their curiosity, that this is just sort of a taste and for you to understand that this is a tool for, for spiritual growth. And that if people want to expand that there is so much more and more and more, you know, that's right. On and on. But this is what we're going to focus on for for today for our purposes. And so it's just a, it's a way that often makes sense to people. And I think because we talk about wisdom work as being heart opening work, I think the passion and virtue is just a great entry point for contemplatives and folks in the wisdom community. So the, um, the type eight is called the protector or the challenger. And depending on your tradition, you might get a, a different um, name. And the real essence or gift of type eight is this immediate sense of aliveness. It's like um, there's an empowerment, an aliveness, kind of this uh, initiating energy. So it's kind of a big energy, but it's it's the energy we all have, the life force. But for type eights, there's just this access to that, to that big energy. So it has a sense of confidence and immediacy. And so when 
when we lose touch with that, which, which we do as in our personality kind of comes in, we can feel cut off from that aliveness and our ego takes over and begins to try to force, force aliveness. It's like, I've got to manufacture it. I, it, I can't feel it anymore. I'm not in touch with that aliveness. So I've got to, I've got to try to manufacture it, assert, assert it and, and protect. And so what I love about thinking about the gift and then, and then what happens when we lose touch with that is we begin to have compassion again and understand like this behavior that we're seeing sometimes in folks that lead with type eight, which can feel like overbearing sometimes or intense or like big when we understand it as having lost touch with this gift or essence, oh, then it makes sense. It's like, oh, right. I can see if I were you and I lost touch with that, I would, I would be scrambling to try to figure out how to, how to make that come back. And so the passion is called lust. And um, lust is like, about keeping the energy flowing. We tend to associate it sexually, but it's so much more than that. That's not, it's, it's really about like that kind of manufacturing aliveness, you know, like I've got to make myself full of light, uh, a life and light and there's, but there's an intensity and it's about fighting the suffering, fighting the suffering and sort of keeping that energy going. And so when we're so again, if, if the Enneagram is about helping us see patterns in an alarm, if I'm an eight and I see that in myself, that kind of behavior and that kind of energy, it's an alarm for me that I can bring presence to that experience. And so when I talk about bringing presence, I mean, dropping into my body, opening my heart with kindness and pausing and really being present with the suffering that I just have noticed in my personality pattern. And so when we do that, there's a, you know, like a willingness to be touched. And I mean, like tenderness, uh, we, we might be in touch with our vulnerability more. There's a softening. And what arises is the virtue of innocence. So innocence has a childlike you know, quality and, um, we allow ourselves to be touched, you know, to, to, to feel tender. And, and so, and so that the virtue often helps us, helps us look at what our path might be. If we, if we identify ourselves as a type eight and we see ourselves in that kind of lust, passion, manufacturing aliveness, that what helps us get in touch with innocence is that presence to that suffering. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Um, would you say that fear might block that person? Fear is, is a part of every type. Okay. And it just looks a little different. So fear for the type eight, really, you know, it, it is like a fear of being cut off yeah. from aliveness. Like, I, and, and it has to do with weakness. You know, it's like, if I can't be in touch with that aliveness, I've got to puff up and be big and strong because I'm actually really scared that if I don't 
kind of keep this aliveness going, even in a manufactured way, then I'm going to be vulnerable and weak. And so um, that fear is in there for eights. Yeah. And is this person typically the life of the party or sort of the the party organizer <laughs> can be, can be. So we have several types that can that look can like that, that. Yeah. but eights are natural leaders mm-hmm. and they step up uh, the eights that I have been in close relationship through the years talk about really being sensitive to noticing a void of leadership. Like if I don't feel like somebody's going to step up, I'm, I'm doing it, you know, cause somebody's got to do it. I got to do it. Yes. Right. So okay. You know, it can be leadership, it can be life of the party, but not necessarily, though for sure, you know, there's an intensity and a big energy. The Helen Palmer, one of my teachers, used to say um, that eights, one of the ways she would experience that is that they were fire ready aim instead of ready aim fire. It's just like, Uh you know, and so eights will often talk about like, ooh. I regret that I did that. You know, I didn't, I wish I hadn't said that, you know, so there's a, sometimes an impulsivity. Yeah. Um, And it's funny listening to you. um, And I'm sure that people listening to us talking about this, uh, you can immediately think of somebody in your life and you're thinking, oh, well, that's, you know, uncle, uncle Bob or something like that. So it's, it's helpful to actually do that to for me, at least to remember what each one is, because I'll think, oh, well, the number eight is Uncle Bob, and I don't really have an Uncle Bob, so I'm just saying that for right. Joe. But, uh, mm-hmm. but it is helpful for me to do that personally, because then I can understand it when I see it in action out in the real world after listening. That's right. That's right. And sometimes, you know, people will come along and identify themselves as a Type Eight, and and that's helpful in terms of understanding it more. Um, and then if we find ourselves thinking, oh, I think Uncle Bob is a type eight, we hold that really loosely yeah. because we don't know, but it can help us um, be curious about why Uncle Bob is doing what he's doing. Yes. Yeah. And I love what you just said, hold that lightly uh, because we don't want to label someone else. Right. Um, you know, right. that's not the idea, for, but just for me, for my learning style, yeah. I sort of had to like an even on each of the numbers that you wrote, I wrote down different people in my life because I'd be listening to it. And I thought, oh, well, this is Uncle Bob. And yes, it's um, very helpful. It's very helpful. And, um, you know, as long as we're really cautious about not, yes. you know, stereotyping, but I think it really helps us connect with people. Yes. Um, and I think really helps us get below the behavior. You know, we tend to interface with people on a behavioral level. And then we're like, why are you doing that? You know, or what are you doing? You know? And, and that's, you know, if, if we can understand some of this um, fear of each type and understand the motivation and why they're doing what they're doing. Well, that's where the compassion slips in. Exactly. I can be more compassionate if I have an understanding of why uncle Bob is doing what he's doing. If I'm mm-hmm. thinking that he, that he might be an eight. So that's right. That's right. That's, that's exactly right. So yeah, so that's just a little taste of the eight. And so you get a feel for that. You can feel that. So next door to the eight is type nine and type nine is called the mediator or the peacemaker. And the, the gift or the essence of type nine is just like whew, really being able to land in the moment, like a very grounded presence, a centered, grounded presence, a sense of really being at home 
in in their body in their personhood in their soul like when a nine is just really in their gifted place they are so steady and so grounded and actively receptive like really you know so being present and being grounded is actually being attentive too like there's an engagement there and we'll talk about that but anyway when the nine loses touch with that and so again when we're thinking about giftedness being expansive and then we begin to contract or move more into our personality the ego fears the fear of the ego is like ah, I, I can't really be here you know like it's it's too much like I this is so um much <laughs> and so there's a there's a kind of um pattern for the nine of dialing back and being kind of halfway here like I'm going to be half-hearted and halfway here I'm not going to fully occupy myself I, I and it can it can lead to sort of feeling like I don't matter um, and so the the passion the reaction contraction is called acedia or sloth and and sloth is not lazy it's not like nines don't do anything it's actually a kind of laziness towards themselves and their own heart you know it's like oh i need to kind of not really be here so it's a disengaged kind of kind of half-heartedness so that's what the personality will do and and so when we see that when we see ourselves doing that as a nine and the way that might look behaviorally is like oh i don't care it doesn't matter to me whatever you guys want to do you know, um, very much that peacemaker, the fear around conflict is like, if I really fully show up, it might, it might get conflictual. So I'm going to halfway show up and then you guys just, I'm just going to kind of go with the flow. But then there's a sense of like, not really being here. And we know what that can feel like when we're around folks like that. So, um, so when we bring kindness to that, when we, when we bring presence to that, the virtue arises and that is a sense of engagement. It's like, I can actually truly be with what is happening here. I can move with it and it's, I can be with all of it. I always think about Tai Chi. It's like, uh, I don't need to be afraid that it's going to be too much for me. So it's a very heartful involvement. Um, and yeah. And so it's a way, it's almost like if you look at the passion and the virtue and the gift, it's a way of saying, it's a way of kind of thinking about how do we return to what we know to be true in this gifted place or in this essence place. And we see what our personality does to try to take us away from that because of the fear. And we can invite ourselves back, you know. So you're catching yourself with this newfound awareness about your tendencies to bring yourself back to the virtue. Right. Yeah. Or to allow the virtue just to be there because it's what's there when we, when we bring presence to that suffering, you know, the virtue is there, the gift is there. Um, and we are operating at a deeper center, you know, like we, back to that kind of um, groundedness in our it's body. It's almost like I can return home to myself. Return home. Um, more quickly, more readily over and over again. Once I have, you know, I, I keep hearing yep. over and over in my head, this word awareness, awareness, yep. awareness about myself and yep. about how I am. 
And then I can catch myself mm-hmm. exactly. and bring myself home again into, you know, when you first started to describe the number nine, I was like, oh, I, I love people like that. They make me feel, you know, safe and, and you want to be around people that are grounded. And, but, but I know what you're talking about, that pull away. Yep. So how do they bring themselves back? So that, so that we can benefit from their beauty yes. and their gift. It's yes. just such a, such a lovely, lovely gift. And yes, we are bringing ourselves back to, I think of it as my capital S self, my capital S self, my mm-hmm. deeper self, my, my true self, my true identity. And so is that capital it, S soul, capital self. S soul, capital S self, you know, I think, I think it's so hard to capture in language, but we taste it. Yeah. We taste it sometimes, you know, in our meditation and in moments of real openness in our, you know, in our heart. And, and so we don't leave our personality again, that idea of like the, the personality is a garment that we wear. And it's often what helps us interface with the world. You know, it's the best we did as kids. You know, we all have stuff that happened to us when we were kids. And so our ego develops to help us manage that. And then what we're trying to do on the spiritual journey and the spiritual path is to, is to, is to return home. Mm. Yeah. 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 So you get a feel for nine and you have. Absolutely. Yes. I love it. Thank you. So the last one in the body types is, uh, is type one, and that's sometimes called the perfectionist, sometimes called the reformer. And, um, and the gift or essence of type one is, or point one is just this like real alignment, um, this awareness, deep, deep awareness of goodness and of kind of like the perfection of all things, the all shall be well, you know, uh, Julian of Norwich, but just kind of this congruence and integrity and balance. And there's this just really deep sense of alignment in, in self, others, the world. So you can imagine if you start to feel like you're losing touch with that, you can imagine that the ego feels the fear of I've got to get back to that sense of balance, alignment, goodness. And so I'm looking around and realizing this is a distorted, crazy world. And I suddenly am feeling like I've got to figure out how to make it right. And so um, like the, the, the passion is anger and resentment. And it's like the, 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 the stuck place is feeling, um, this is wrong and I need to make it right, you know? And, um, yeah, like I've got to mobilize, I've got to mobilize. (laughs) And so there's a real, you can feel how all of the egoic patterns are, have a pushing, uh, or a withdrawing, you know, kind of like there's something that's reactive, you know, in it. So getting this image of this, uh, I saw it in a yoga class once, but I think it's like a kid's ball. It's like one of these kinetic, like plastic, and you can expand it real big. And then you can bring the ball back in real tiny. It 
goes back yeah. into like this compact. And as you're talking, you keep using I know. Of your hands in that, in this <laughs> tightening and then expanse, um, just that's to right. give people a visual for that. Yeah. yeah, no, that's really great. And that, that passion is that contraction. Mm. And then, you know, when we, when we feel ourselves in that contraction, when we feel caught, if I'm a one, which I am, when I, when I feel caught in the, you know, anger and resentment, and I can pause and bring kindness and presence to that and real true compassion and, and kindness for like, wow, that is so hard to be fighting the world and trying to make it right. You know, like, oh, then what arises is serenity, the, the virtue of serenity. And that is a deep sense of balance, a deep sense of, um, you know, just like steadiness and, um, balance is what comes to me. Like, um, but there's also is like, everything is okay. Everything can be included. Um, so there's a, and all as well. <laughs> yeah, all as well. And so there might be responsiveness in it, but I'm not blending with the activation. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in a, I'm not in a tizzy, you know, it's almost like, ah, the next right thing presents itself, you know, and this is mine to do or this is not mine to do. And so there's that serenity, you know, so the serenity prayer, you know, knowing, you know, what is mine and what is not mine. Yeah. And we, and I was just thinking the same thing as, you know, a, a question I often ask people in spiritual direction is like, who gave you that job? Mm -hmm. <laughs> who gave you right. that job? Yeah, that's yeah. a good, that's a good question. And you know, our perception, you know, one of the questions that often comes up is how do we get our Enneagram type? And, you know, it is some kind of combination of nature and nurture. So we might have a proclivity or a tendency towards a certain type pattern, but then whatever it is that we are, you know, the, the environment that we grow up in, there's that moment of fit, like here, you have this job, <laughs> you know, and then you've got this tendency to say, oh, okay, yeah, that's mine. That's what I got to do. But then the egoic patterns, you know, come up around that. And this invitation to keep remembering our gift and our essence, um, because if you if you start to just notice the the gift and essence of each one, and as we go all the way around, it's like, wow, that makes a beautiful whole, mm. you know, aliveness, grounded presence alignment, goodness, you know, and then we just keep going around here like, oh my gosh, that's a great world. <laughs> I want to be in that world. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So those are the body types and you can kind of feel the body energy in, in, those, in those three types. And so to move on around the next three, the two, three, and four are what's called the heart types and the center of the house. This or is no. the center of the house. Yes. So if we're going from the bottom up, yes, this is. So actually there are places in the body for each of these nine types. And so for the eight, nine, and one, it's the like lower belly, the sternum, I mean, not the sternum, the um, pelvic floor, and then the spine, the spine for one. And so when we move up to two, three, and four, two is the sternum, three is the center. It's imagine you've got a ball kind of in the center of you. So it's that center space. And then four is called the back door of the heart. Mm -hmm. And so it's all there and you feel that dimensionality of, of those three. So That's yeah, really you helpful. can actually place it in your own body and start yeah, to- Yeah, I feel that. Yeah. 
In your own house. <laughs> in your own house, right. So um, type two is called the helper or the giver. And the essence gift of type two is just, oh my gosh, a, a beautiful attunement, like a natural connectedness, a natural ability to connect. So these two, two, three, and four tend to be more relational. So we're in the heart space. Um, but there's a warmth and a generosity and um, very responsive. So often I will think of like a mother and child where that pair is so attuned. The mother is so attuned to the child and the child so attuned to the mother that it's just this symbiotic kind of beautiful, that, that's kind of the essence of two. And so, yeah, you can imagine what fear might come if you lose contact with that, mm -hmm. like, ooh, um, Ego fear is getting separated, disconnected, um, being alone, being unloved, being rejected, you know, so there's a lot of fear that can come up with that. So often behaviorally, there's an overdoing that, that comes up like an over attuning, over helping, you know, but it arises out of that fear of disconnection. And so the passion for the two is called pride. And that pride is um, actually has more to do with um, like, I don't have any needs. <laughs> I, I know what you need and I'm going to help you because I know what you need. And, and so it's uh, over attuning to the other person out of my own sense of it's not okay for me to have my own needs. Um, and, and I'm not even aware of what they are. And so it, I don't acknowledge them, but I'm likely to project onto the other person. What do you need in hopes that I might just get a little crumb back? Like if I'm helping you, you know, often twos will say, um, I'm not aware of needing anything back. I really just want to help people, you know? And so this, this can be a tough one to see because, um, it's very outwardly focused. It's a very outward focus. It reminds me of, of that, you know, that cup metaphor of that emptying and not filling your own yeah. cup back up that you're constantly emptying and then, and then you have nothing left for yourself. Right. It's right. like depleting. It's depleting. So, so the virtue is, is called humility and humility arises actually when we kind of crash into that awareness that we are empty. Uh, we, we, have, we have emptied ourselves out. Yes. And so humility actually allows us to embrace our humanness. Like, oh, I'm a human being too. I have needs. You know, I, I need to care for myself, uh, which is actually really scary for twos. You know, it's like, if, I, if, if I'm taking care of myself, and I'm not ingratiating myself essentially to other people, then I'm going to remain disconnected. It feels so scary to just sort of be self-focused, um, but it, it is all about reciprocity. So um, yeah, so the word with two is relatedness, like really being related and, and to relate, I've got to be here and I've got to be in my own heart. Like if, if I'm only with you, I'm not really relating, you know, it's kind of back to that the disconnect. I, yeah. I, I feel that I yeah. see this a lot with, uh, with young moms that I work with, 
Mm. You know, if, if somebody needs something, a sign up genius and meals are being made and everybody's running to do something, but when it's your turn, yeah, we have a much harder time receiving the gift that we so easily are pouring out for others. Right. And that's really one of the pathways of transformation for twos is to, again, recognize, feel the humility arise like, ooh, I see how I'm not able to receive. And what, what can I do to practice that, to, to, to be actually wanting to be in relationship and not just in this one way giving? Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. The further we go along, there's definitely this yin and yang to every personality type. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What are you seeing there? Like, I mean, yeah, we both keep using our hands in this Uh circled gesture, but yeah, I'm just sensing that there's like, there, there are two sides to it. There's sort of a darker and a lighter side and, and and in this self-awareness that I'm I'm more that I'm understanding. And I'm a lot of this is resonating with me personally is that the more that I have this understanding with it, I can move closer to the lighter part and have more of that richness in my life or be able to come back to it. Yeah. Come back home. Like we talked about at the beginning, much more easily. Right. So what helps me remember myself, my capital S self, you know, kind of remember this lightness and expansiveness while still including with kindness and compassion, this personality energy in me that has just been trying to help me survive my whole life, Mm -hmm. you know? In the South, we say, bless your heart. You know, that, that, that's what comes up for me. I just want to go bless my heart over and over again. That's a good so, mantra for someone that. I know it is. So the type three is called the achiever or performer. And um, the, I, I think that um, this type can often be misunderstood because the focus ends up being on the behavior, you know, which can look like I've got to succeed. I've got to achieve, you know. But the gift or the essence that type three kind of comes in with is sort of this real awareness of the preciousness and opportunity of this life. Like this is an amazing place to be, you know, and it's like it has purpose, it has value, it has meaning, and I get to participate in it, you know, and so it's like this delight, you know, almost, but anyway, and and it's also like, it's delightful because there's contribution and meaning making like, like, so, but you can feel when that comes out of like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing here. But if we lose touch with it, you can see how the personality out of fear of like, what if there's no meaning? What if there's no value? What if I'm empty, you know, would go into overdrive and be like, okay, goals, objectives, you know, I need to perform and be pat on the back for being, you know, good at what I'm doing and feel like I have earned my worth, you know? And so an example of this person, I'm just having, can you give me, um, well, I think it's actually all over the place in our culture. Um, but there, you know, it's the person that is very, has a very busy and full life and has, um, and is pretty driven to succeed and to achieve and is trying to stay ahead of a sense of emptiness or worthlessness or that's all over our culture. Yeah. Yeah. So helpful. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. 
And so the passion is called vanity and in vanity, like um, it's that sort of narcissistic trait and everybody, you know, it's just kind of like um, always kind of sort of, I need to be seen and approved of. I need, I need, do you see me? Do you see that I'm, I'm, a, you know, that I'm okay. It's, it's a real earnest uh, working for your worth, you know, kind of thing when we're really caught in the personality type pattern there. Um, and so when we catch that, when we see that, and we, we know that we cannot earn our worth, you know, like I, I think about, um, you know, I think about performers, you know, like artists and people that just are driven, 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 and will have then some experience where they're like, well, <laughs> you know, I can't do that anymore. And then sort of fall into like, oh, I never had to earn that anyway. You know, I'm already worthy, you know? Mm. Um, and so when we bring presence and kindness to that pattern, that personality pattern, um, the virtue was authenticity, like I can be me where being and doing are just kind of unfolding and there's no earning that has to happen. Seems like there's some relief around that. I, I feel relieved for the person. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and there's really relief in all of these. Like once we see more clearly how the personality is overworking for us and, and what it's trying to do so hard and we can relieve, you know, we can just kind of bring kindness to that and allow the virtue to carry us there is really relief mm. in coming home you know in coming home relief yeah. to be home a relief to be home yeah yeah so so you, but you can also sort of feel the relationality of type three you know um that kind of like do you see me am i okay you know if two is helping like can i help you <laughs> you know three is do you see me am i okay Four is called the romantic or the individualist. And the four gift is a profound sense of wholeness. Okay. Interconnectedness, like a very cosmic sense of that. Um, it's very deep and mysterious, but also very uh, felt. Um, there's just a, a powerful sense of both communion and intimacy with God, with the beloved, with source. And it's like, I think about several experiences with fours where I just feel like being in their presence when they are in this space uh, is like such a revelation of, of who God is. I mean, it's a beautiful, you know, interconnectedness. Um, a mystical moment. Yes. Mystical moment. And it's like, you can feel like that's out. That's where the creativity rises and in the beauty. And um, so a lot of times fours are uh, understood in our culture is like the creative ones. There's no, I mean, there's creativity in all of the types, but I think that's why that has come up because there's just such a um, attunement to beauty. But when we, when, when we lose contact with that, you can feel how the ego would just be like, what, you know, like that would be devastating and so what the personality does is go into overdrive to try to um feel unique you know feel um like uh what's the word like um, um start to try to create an identity of beauty and and create an identity where they feel like they can um stand out and so the the um 
the, the, the passion is called is envy. It's a longing. There's a, there's a real longing and an envy for what is missing because that is the personality is fearful about that loss of connection. And so it's kind of, it has a feel of a chronic disappointment and um, wishing for things to be different. And so there's often a melancholy with type four and a, and a kind of sadness and getting caught in like and dislike. And so that makes a lot of sense to me that if you're, if you've lost touch with this amazing depth and beauty, that being a person, being in the personality would sort of bring up a chronic disappointment. Sounds like yeah. this, this personality type would benefit from a gratitude practice. Well, that is actually one of the recommendations for, <laughs> you know, for um, the path and, and also like a gratitude. You flip the coin or turn yeah, it over. It. That's right. And, and I think when you see yourself in that chronic disappointment or that envy or longing and you bring kindness and presence to it, equanimity arises, which is like, actually there's room for a large range of emotion and feeling and experience. Nothing, nothing has to be outside of the wholeness, you know, like there's wholeness of heart, everything belongs, you know, and that's when gratitude is going to be coming up from a a deeper place, you know, a a place of like, oh, right. When equanimity is here, gratitude naturally arises, joy, lightness of being, you know, naturally arise. And so it's, um, I don't need to avoid anything. And, and fours, you know, um, people who lead with this type just are stunning in their capability to be with a range of emotion and not shy away. Mm-hmm. Like there's just nothing freaks them out because they do have a sense of like, oh yeah, I felt that, <laughs> you know, I know what that is, you yeah. know, so, so, but you can, again, you can feel the relatedness of four. So the heart type, um, you know, all four, all three of the heart types have an energy of, of connection and relatedness. Mm. Um, that that's so helpful. So now we have been on the, on the first, the bottom floor of yep. the house. Now we've been in the center living area and yes. now we're going to take the stairs and head up, <laughs> head up to the head. You're going up to the head. How are we doing on time? We're doing okay. I think we're great. Okay, good. So yes. So now we're going to the mind, to the intellectual center and uh, the place in the body, you know, for, um, so we have five, six, and seven here and five is the third eye. Okay. And six is the, imagining your head is a sphere. Six is the point right in the middle of that sphere. And then seven is the crown or the fontanelle. And so, yeah, so you can place that in your, um, you know, in your house. That's perfect. I love, I'm a visual learner. So this is, this yeah, good, good. Well, this is without any of the uh, typical accoutrements of symbol and all that stuff. So, so for type five, the gifts, uh, type five is called the observer or the investigator. And um, the gift or essence is um, just a stunning kind of clarity a clarity of thought, um, uh, illumination is, is another word, but it's just like, uh, I think of it as a sparkly illumination, like this ability to kind of have a ton of information and, and be able to just really hone in, clarify, have it 
it's, it's also got a sense of stillness and spaciousness. So it's not crowded and it's um, clear. And so to lose contact with that, the personality looks like I've got to get back to that. I've got to get to that. And so I need to collect a lot of information and a lot of knowledge and I can't ever have enough because in my gift or essence, I'm aware of how vast that, you know, that um, knowledge is. And so um, it's kind of always a sense of collecting and gathering information. And so the passion is called avarice. It's a reaction to, I've lost touch with that stillness, spaciousness. And so I have to hold on, I have to hold on. And so there's a kind of, um, withholding of self. So it's kind of can look like the nine, but it's coming from a different place. So if the nine is kind of halfway showing up because this uh, sense of grounded presence is gone um, for the five, it's like, oh, that sense of clarity and illumination. And so I've got to hold on, I've got to gather and withhold um, because um, I don't know how to, I don't know how to claim, I don't know how to get there without that. So it, um, what it what it looks like for in the from the personality is a, a real break from the body and the heart. So there's also this sense of like a talking head, but not a lot of talking. <laughs> Fives often are slow to share information when they're in the throes of their personality type. And so so um, that alarm bell or that wake up call that leads a five to bring presence and kindness to their pattern is this aware awareness of being like, wow, I am in withhold uh, and cutting off from people and cutting off from my body and my mind. And so, I mean, my body and my heart. And so it's uh, when, you know, when that have the virtue is called non-attachment and it's basically kind of opening your hand again, you know, in that Buddhist sense of like, nothing is mine to hold, everything is changing. And it's a real uh, liberating sense of non-attachment, like where you're engaged and you're here, but you're not holding on. Yeah. I'm sensing too, that that practice of uh, clenching your fists yep. and releasing with the breath would be a great spiritual practice for, for yeah. this number. Right. That holding, holding, holding. And I sometimes do that with groups and, and then I, you let go and you feel that you feel That's that right. release. Yeah. And honestly, anything that gets um, somebody who leads with this, their, this type in their body. So that clenching is a body practice. Yeah. Brings them down. Um, and it can be scary. You know, it can be scary because it, it feels um, it just, it can, it can feel hard to be out of the head where it feels safe. It feels safe when I'm gathering information and I, you know, so, so that. I don't so want to I, go downstairs to get, <laughs> to get a sandwich. Yeah, that's right. Because I don't know what, I don't understand downstairs. Yeah. I, it's um, unpredictable. Um, it's not something I can look up and write down, you know, and so it can be real scary. So sort of that, that privacy or isolation or wanting to be off. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, with type six, type six is called the loyal skeptic or the trooper. Okay. And uh, the gift uh, is, uh, I always think of it as, um, well, it's a direct knowing and it's like really plugged in 
to central command, <laughs> like whatever it is that is this sense of like, this is what's running the show, God, you know, the universe, nature, you know, depending on your path. And even if there's no path, there's often an intuitive, direct knowing, like a sense of, um, yeah, like understanding confidence in, in, in being able to be awake and in, in, in that. And so to lose contact with that, there's a real terror. There's a terror of, of like, if I'm unplugged from central command, there's no ground I'm free floating. And so this is actually a highly in the, in the throes of the personality, this is a very fearful and anxious type. And, and it's, uh, got a, you know, the types of folks that are in the throes of their type six have a lot of angst, fear, doubt. Um, and it really is disorienting, you know, and so the, the personality looks like worst case scenario thinking, you know, well, what if this happens and often having a difficult time making decisions, um, you know, because there's not that pausing, falling into presence in reconnecting with your inner knowing. And so the virtue that arises, well, so the, the passion is fear and angst and, and the virtue that arises when we bring presence to that is courage. And courage, as we know, involves the heart, you know, that it's like, this is so scary. And I also am leaning in to that fear and feeling the uncertainty and the fear, but doing it anyway you know, whatever it is and trusting my inner knowing. And so that, that path of grounding and waking up and being attentive and reconnecting, coming back home. So you see I, the themes I are they're, they're everywhere, right? I see it. I see it. And I'm, and, and I'm relating, you know, I, I think I'd mentioned, I had a friend who is a six, but I also, now that I'm listening to this, I, I have a child that, that when I sense that she's in this place, I, when she was younger, I'd say, why don't you go take a hot shower, <laughs> come back? Because for her, it's a reset. I would always offer a reset. And now that she's an adult and, and working, I'll say, why don't you go walk, do the loop, do the, the loop around the neighborhood and come back to your desk, refreshed, reset, regrounded in really in your body. Beautiful. Yeah. So you're really seeing how this map helps, you know, what to pull in. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're in the head center, five, six, and seven, a lot of your resources are in the body and in the heart. Mm -hmm. If you're in the heart, you've got resources in the body and the head, you know, so I think that's one of the ways to that's so helpful. Get, yeah. To fashion these practices. Yeah. And I didn't see that in the beginning of our conversation, but it's so clear now. Good. So I hope it is for, for everybody yeah. listening that it makes complete sense. And it's, this is just, yeah, it's just mind blowing. All right. Well, last but not least, we have number seven, which is called the Epicure or the Enthusiast. And um, the gift or essence for seven is this, what is called like the vastness of true mind, but there, there's kind of like this limitless possibility that the universe, that consciousness is limitless and that actually underneath it all is a positivity. Like creation is always manifesting and there is positivity at the core of it. Love, joy, talking joy, <laughs> uh, at the depth of consciousness and that 
and that that is not affected by the events of the world, right? That there is just um, that goodness and love prevails, that light holds us in our struggle. And so to lose contact with that, if you are a little type seven, it feels completely like a loss of freedom. You know, it's kind of like a, it's a profound deprivation. It's a sense of like, I'm going to be trapped in pain, you know, and so there's a claustrophobia to it. And so the passion um, is gluttony and gluttony about what's the next thing? What can I do to feel better? How do I get ahead of this pain? Is it more food? Is it alcohol? Is it act, you know, I mean, those are just behaviors, but it also is an attitude of like, like, I just got to stay ahead because if I stop and if I don't keep going, I am going to be trapped in, in this pain. And um, so in your feelings, trapped in your feelings, trapped there. Right. That's right. And so it's, it's really scary because there's a loss of contact with this kind of sense of light will hold us in the struggle, you know? So spiritually, it can look like spiritual bypass, um, you know, where you're just like, it's all good. <laughs> you know, everything is, you know, so there's a way in which we hear all shall be well and a way in which we hear it's all good, you know, different, different vibrations. Pause for a second. Yeah. I have you pause. And you said the light in the struggle. Say, tell me a little bit more about that. I love that. Um, yeah, just that, I mean, that's kind of this gift or essence of seven, that that there is light, love, that will hold us in our struggle, that it's there, that that's what's permeating our experience, our world. Um, that and are you offering them an invitation to re-remember that? Have they're slipping well, I think it. that, yeah, I think that naturally happens when we see the gluttony, see how the personality is trying to keep us safe and, yeah. and, and, and away from that fear and we bring presence to it. What arises is sobriety. Mm-hmm. So sobriety is this remembering it's pausing long enough to ground and to feel our heart and to feel receptive where we receive that knowing, we receive that knowing that's never gone anywhere. And we remember it, mm. you know, we remember it because we're quiet and we're able to, you know, pause long enough to be in the moment, you know, to be with all that is. And so that's when it starts to shift and that whatever the struggle or the pain is, is included in the light. I think about that Rumi poem, there is a field, I will meet you there. You know, it's like the field of love, the field of consciousness. Um, And the seven then can remember like, oh, I know this. Right. And so then you also see how the personality is just trying to fabricate. It's kind of like a false, it's like a false way of, of of, of making us available to the gift or something. Yeah. It's, it's like you took the person back to comfort in, in that roomy suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, so we made it all the way through the whole made house. It all the way through. And often the sevens are like, why do we have to go last? You know, yeah. they're, they're eager, eager, but anyway. Yeah. So yeah, that's a quick, quick taste. 
just a quick taste. It's a taste. And, and my hope, uh, and we said this at the beginning, is to whet people's appetite for learning more about the Enneagram, learning more about themselves to open yourself up to, you know, to, to a deeper knowing of why we do things and, and why we're made the way we are. And, mm. and I'm always curious personally about that for my own life. And, and even in doing these podcasts, it just blows my mind every time I talk to somebody and you learn more and more and it takes you to these deeper levels. So I want to thank you for, for sharing your gift today mm. and, uh, you are welcome. and highlighting, you know, the three centers and, and all nine personality traits or would you call it? Oh. Yeah, some personality traits, some ways of interacting with the world. And there, of course, much more descriptors and there's books written about every type, you know, so there's a lot more you can describe. But I, I feel like part of what we've been able to name in our conversation is why we would do that. What's the purpose of being able to, to, to know or describe ourselves or arrive at a type? It really feels like it's about opening up to this deeper knowing that we all have and that we can return home to, which that Thomas Merton quote, you know, highlights. Versus, you know, what I had thought way back, um, you know, when we first met of being labeled and sort of put in a box and it felt made me feel defensive of like, well, somebody turned to me and said, oh, I think you're a one. And I'm like, well, what's that? Oh yeah. (laughs) That's hard. Yeah. And and so I'm, I'm always stuck on that. I go to the one, I think, am I a one? But no, Mm -hmm. like we talked about before, I I have little, we all do have little parts of each of those. Yeah. In the value of, of settling in with a type when, you know, like sort of arriving at a type, the value is really just so that you can have this um, self-observation that maybe feels a little more handy. It's not at all, um, you know, it's not valuable if it, if it stops our curiosity or exactly. our growth. Exactly. And that's, that's one of the things that I wanted to sort of nail home today was that mm-hmm. it's, it's a resource and not, you know, how I had sort of entered it, you know, yeah. in my own personal experience. Yeah. Understandably. And that, you know, the Enneagram teachers that um, I worked with through the years, they were always really adamant about, you don't tell somebody what they are. You, you help them discover it uh, because that very thing happens. People get defensive. Yeah. And that was another student. It wasn't, it wasn't the teacher. So mm-hmm. just to clarify, but, but exactly. And so I, my mind is, uh, is, is, has expanded and grown from doing this and I'm, I'm curious to learn more and, mm. and, and, and then, like we said before, we'll have resources for that. So I'm going to end um, with a second poem that you, that you sent me. And this was part of a roomy poem. And it says the breezes ha- at dawn have secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. People are going back and forth across the doors where the two worlds touch. The door is round and open. Don't go back to sleep. Out beyond the ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. And when the soul lies down in, the, in that grass, the world is too full to talk about ideas, language, even the phrase, each other no longer makes sense. Thank you. Thank you, Pam. So good to be with you today. Appreciate it.
I'm Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and you have been listening to Talking Joy, talks that help you realize your value while creating authentic connections with others. For more information about our talk today or to get in touch, you can find us at talkingjoy.org. And to keep the encouragement going, you can also follow Talking Joy on Instagram and Facebook. Simple, joyful, fun. Thanks for listening. This is Talking Joy.